welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. Such a long title. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Mr. Chris Dashew. Hello there, friends. We are recording this on what would have been Abe Vigoda's 99th birthday, Chris. You really don't know how much you miss Abe Vigoda until he's gone. Until you watch these episodes. He's amazing. He's kind of the best part of this show. I mean, there's a reason he got his own show. His comic timing in this is wonderful. He is, I believe, to be me in TV character form. A curmudgeoned dick who just wants to be left alone. So this is the first official episode of the show past the pilots. We're talking about three episodes of Barney Miller Experience, Snow Job, and Graft. And those were broadcast the first few weeks of 1975. Graft was February 13th, Snow Job February 6th, and Experience January 30th. And I have to say, just kind of looking at all three of these overall, I was a little confused because we had Ron Harris last week, and then he's gone in Experience, but then he's back. And the next one, it's just like, okay. And, but then in there's, there's one line where it's like, Hey, Harris, where were you? Yeah, where's Harrison Wilson? And it's like, oh, okay. So they're both still working at the precinct, both of these African American gentlemen, but we will never see Wilson after his last appearance on, I believe it is on Snow Job, which is a bummer because he's pretty good. He is pretty great. I really liked him. And here he was in drag again. Yeah, really, this show really loves drag. Well, we do have to talk about Experience, which has possibly Ugh. some troublesome, but I... Not, not possibly. Well, <laughs> but it, it's not great. It's, it's not, it's not in, it's not, uh, it's not invasively offensive. It's just kind of, that's the way these characters were written, <laughs> offensive. Yeah, so we've got Marty who I wrote in my notes is Marty the Queer, because that's pretty much him from beginning to end. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh. It's like, it's like, it's that level of stereotyping. And it's just, it's, look, it's, it's like, you know, because we obviously did the Kolchak tapes. It's kind of like the Kolchak tapes where it's, you know, Kolchak saying, listen here, broad. It's like, oh boy. Like, it's not that it's offensive. It's just, it, it hasn't aged well. I mean, they don't, have any sort of homophobic slurs or anything. It's just no. people look at him askance quite often. And he also has some dialogue that is stereotypically homosexual in, in its way it's written. I did like his line about why not there being gay cops because there's gay robbers. I was like, okay, that's good. Look, like you said, he's not, uh, they're not calling him the F word, thank God. They're not calling him a homo or anything like that. So it's not Enough. It's not offensive, it's just hadn't aged well. And I was surprised, you know, here I thought Wojo was going to be the one who was always going to have trouble with outsiders, but he seemed to be fine. There was no, like, Marty, what are you doing? Why do you have to be gay and you should really man up or any of those things? He seemed absolutely fine. Well, and you'll find out in, in a later episode that, uh, you know... Wojciechowicz is is antagonized for being Polish, so so maybe that that could have to do with it. So the thrust of this episode, there's two big things going on. One is that Fish 
feels that he is over the hill and he wants to put in his resignation. But the other thing that Fish is able to help out with is that there is a mad bomber loose in the city. And just, I was like, okay, yeah, there was the mad bomber back in like the 30s and 40s. And then I started looking up bombs in New York City and not realizing just how many bombs were set in the 1970s in New York and just how many different terrorist groups and individuals there were in New York at that time. Oh my God. It was a, it was running rampant. So no wonder they just were like, Oh yeah, then we'll have a guy who plants a bomb. I mean, I remember there being a bomber on WKRP. I didn't remember this bomb here, but all right, here you go. Yeah. We'll just uh, have this guy who likes to plant bombs and set them off every day at five o'clock and is targeting any sort of uh, public official. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, they're drawing from reality and playing it up, which is fine. Yeah, and like I said, this was kind of a gritty show at times. This was really trying to play what was going on in New York for laughs. I mean, they make reference in Snow Job to all the garbage that's on the streets. And it's like, okay, yeah, that was just the thing, that they would have garbage strikes. Joker did that, too. <laughs> you like that? You're welcome. Oh. Oh, did they steal from this show, too? Steal? You mean the way that Parasite stole the Oscar from Joker? Bing, bing, bing. Not gone with the wind. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, dear God. I miss shows like this, though. Because there aren't enough, like, cop shows like this anymore. Everything is hard and gritty and dark and serious. And this is, you know, it's got some of that. Yeah, just like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay, Mr. Troll. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine because Andy Samberg is not funny. No, I can't stand it. I can't watch that show. No. Oh, Lonely Island, dude. Isn't it funny? At least he's no Pete Davidson, though. Oof. Talk about a face that needs a fist planted in it. Jesus Christ in heaven. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it has that kind of mix of, like, tension with comedy. I mean, I don't think for any second that, like, the department is going to get blown up. Obviously, but, you know, there is some tension. I mean, in the last episode, you have a, you know, a kid with a gun holding the whole precinct hostage. So, you know, there is some of that in the show. But yeah, most of it is just like this comedy between a bunch of different guys. And by different, I mean, one guy's Japanese, one guy's black, one guy's Polish, one guy is Hal Linden, whatever Hal Linden is. <laughs> I believe he's playing Jewish. Okay. Well, he looks Puerto Rican. <laughs> or something vaguely Hispano-ethnic. So, with that mustache and that hair. That perfect hair. The hair and the mustache, man. But yeah, you know, you're talking about kind of some of the things in the show that, not problematic, but it has aged about as well with this episode and the, the way that it treats a homosexual character. It's aged about as well as, as Kolchak has. I wasn't as offended with this. Kolchak offended you? No, Kolchak didn't offend me, but it was just like, it felt real creaky sometimes. This one, it's not good, but I wasn't, I wasn't cringing while I was watching this. Right. No. And that's, and to be fair, that's kind of where I was too. I was like, ah, this isn't great, but as long as they don't keep like hounding on it and like pounding on it over and over and over again, I think it's fine. Like, look, you know, 
they this is the same show that has characters dressing up in drag, so it's not entirely taking itself and its condemnation or criticizing of other characters' lifestyles too seriously. And I was thinking, okay, well, Marty, he ends up taking the briefcase that has the bomb in it, and I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's bad. You know, poor Marty, he's going to die now, and it's kind of that, like, you know, the the sacrificial homosexual that used to be in a lot of movies. But then when it comes back, when uh, Wilson brings him back in full drag, and it's just like, oh, shit. So I actually was a little, not not concerned, but that was a nice fake out that they did with the that twist there. Yeah, no, I was right there with you. I, like, felt bad for that character. I was like, oh, God, they're going to blow up the only gay character on this show so far. <laughs> like, whoa. Whoa, guys, like, maybe, maybe not? Maybe don't do that. And I was glad, like, Fish keeps coming in and just saying, like, oh, well, you know, I would look at this or that or the other thing. And, like, his years of experience are actually what's helping solve the case. And he's the one that throws the bomb into the safe and single-handedly saves the day. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's this whole thing, this whole kind of the A, I guess it's kind of the B plot is is fish like contemplating retirement and then he shows that he has you know some some reason to exist at the at the precinct so it is kind of nice that they reinforced that though i have to say every time when barney's giving him those really motivational speeches and all of a sudden fish starts to snore i laughed each time well it's because abe vagoda's comic timing is so good oh, so good yeah abe vagoda really Really was a, a master at what he did. And it's, it's, you know, and look, also we got to give credit where credit's due to the writing of the show. I mean, the, the screenwriters for this show obviously knew what they were doing and did a really good job writing as well. And these episodes just move along. I mean, it's joke after joke after joke and it just really clicks at a great pace. It really makes me miss half hour TV shows. Yeah, you know, you can have half-hour TV shows if they're done well. And I think the the issue really becomes there's a lot of these half-hour TV shows that are just done really poorly. And they serve no purpose and they don't tell a compelling story in the half an hour. But they have done a really good job so far in these first four episodes of telling compelling stories. Right. And it's not just A and B stories. We often will have a C or a D story going on. And... It's great that they can balance this squad room of all these guys and you feel like you're checking in with each one of them. And it's not just like, okay, now let's go over to Yamada. Now let's go over. You know, it feels like they're very much a part of the whole, but at the same time, you see what is going on with each one of their lives. You strike me as the Yamada of this podcast. I don't know why, but there's just something about his delivery of his lines that just is like, I'm just like, this is just Mike. This is just, this is just Mike. Or maybe, or, or maybe, is Wojohowicz Richard Haddam? Hmm. <laughs> no, Richard's not that unhinged. <laughs> we love Richard. I was very happy to see Stuart Patenkin show up in this uh, as, um, Mur- sorry, as Murray's lawyer, who uh, is very much like an ambulance chasing type lawyer. Um, he's not credited, which surprised me. So now one of my responsibilities with watching the show is going into IMDb and correcting the credits or adding people that weren't credited. Mike is taking upon himself to right the wrongs. I am a social justice warrior. I love Stuart Pankin, though. I mean, come on. 
I was a big not necessarily the news fan when I was younger. I was a huge fan and still am of Dinosaurs. And he does the main voice for the father in that show. Were you familiar with Ray Sharkey, who is brought in at one point and thrown into the same cell with Murray? No. So Ray Sharkey had a very brief career, but he was very popular for a little while, or at least that's what I remember. I remember the name Ray Sharkey more than I remember the person, but he was very popular in a series called Wise Guy, and then he was in a movie called The Idolmaker, and he was actually the main character in a movie called Dubidio, which I have been waiting patiently to do an episode on for the projection booth, but the director is just kind of, um, you know, he's, 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 uh, cool in his heels a little bit. I'm just waiting for him to, to get back to me on stuff. Uh, but you know, he's, he's a very busy man. You know, he's also one of the guys who helped create welcome back Cotter. Welcome back. Not Ray Sharkey, but the director of Dubidio. Ray Sharkey though. Ray Sharkey. It's great in this episode. I like the idea of him being antagonized by the other character. Again, it's not great, but... So, big surprise, moving on to Snow Job, big surprise that Barbara Berry is in the credits, but she has yet to reappear in these episodes, and she's not back in this one either. Whoops. It's, It's weird, right? Jack Sue and Ron Harris are not in the credits, but she is. Yeah, I don't understand. It's kind of weird. Like, I mean, she's a series regular because she's mentioned, isn't she mentioned right after Hal Linden in the credits? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's number two. Which is so bizarre. You would think that they would have put her in every, I don't know. Maybe it's just me expecting that she would have been in every episode. What do I know? Yeah, but these episodes are just in the precinct and they stay in the precinct and we never, we really never go outside of that one room. Yeah, this is a pretty, this is a bottle episode. Um you know, there's there's not a I mean, and maybe, you know, the farther we go in the show, that might become more and more the case. But uh yeah, there's I don't know. Of these three episodes, I think this is the weakest one. And it gets pretty dark for a little bit. Oh my god, yeah. The the character of the flasher is oddly depressing. In a way that like the show hasn't had something like that yet. He's depressing the guy is so damn tall. So it just helps emphasize that he has no pants on underneath that trench coat. What's really weird is not only is he depressing and he's talking about how he's a lawyer and he's seen every expert around the world and yada, yada, yada. Then he tries to kill himself, which is not great. Right. And you think there's going to be repercussions because they let him go into the bathroom unattended. And then there's the whole trying to revive him, bring him back to life. So there's that very tense scene of Barney trying to perform CPR on this guy. And the whole B-plot with the money, I feel like, just feels shoehorned in. That is kind of strange. I mean, because again, it's there's, what, six inches of snow outside, and the armored truck drivers are on strike, so the stores have way too much money, so they end up, Wojo ends up getting 200, 200 something thousand dollars, and he tries to keep it in the safe, the safe that apparently just blew up in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, the safe that's perfectly fine after it was blown up by a bomb. Maybe not the best plot to go with on your next episode of the show. 
Or at least put like a line like, oh, at least we got the safe fix. Like, guys, come on. So there's those stories going on. There's also this whole thing of Barney being up for inspector, uh, deputy inspector, which is just barely in this episode. Um, I do like his whole thing where he's just like, when he finds out he didn't get the position, oh, yeah, no, no, it's all fine. It's all good. And then he shatters the door of his office. Yeah, he slams the door closed and the door explodes. I mean, again, you know, I, I think the the main issue I have with this episode is it doesn't feel like anything's going on. It feels like it's just kind of sitting there going, we know Barney's not going to get that position. The money thing, you can't honestly believe that any one of the characters stole it. And so then you're left with the suicide character and like, it's just, it's so weird. It just tonally, it tonally does not work with the show. Yeah, and then it's very strange at the end, the button for the episode is Barney getting a package, and it's the Flasher's trench coat. I don't even understand that. I guess he's given up flashing, and now has gotten the help that he needs. I mean, I felt really bad for the guy, because he just is talking about how sick he is, and that he's, like you said, tried all these experts and can't get any help. I genuinely felt bad for him. His character feels like he's from another show, not this show. Because again, yeah, this show touches on some serious topics, but not in a way that would necessitate a character killing themselves in the bathroom. Yeah, it feels like he escaped from Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Yeah, it's just not from Barney Miller, because tonally, it's kind of a mess. And, you know, again, when you've got a character getting a promotion three episodes into the show, come on. Maybe save that plot for later down the road. I would maybe say the same thing for the whole graft uh, plot, which is happening in the next episode, where you've got this guy showing up. What's his name? Kelly, played by Dick O'Neill. Being a dickhead. Dick O'Neill, fantastic actor. Love this guy. Love watching him and everything that he does. And he is... He's great as a dickhead. He just comes in and manages to insult everyone in that room. He goes to tell Wojo a a, uh, a Polish joke. He goes and he essentially calls Jack Sue yellow, which is super great. I mean, he doesn't call Barney Miller anything, thankfully, but that's probably because they couldn't get away with it on network television. Using the K word on network television ain't great. But that being said, I think you're right. I mean, this episode also has that wheel-spinning kind of nonsense. It's like, why are you doing this this early on into the show? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand what the point of doing this plot line this early on is. Because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because I'm not necessarily invested in any of the characters that much right now. No, not at all. So when Barney goes home and is saying, oh, yeah, Kelly's here and he's looking for, you know, us. I love how he talks about it, knickknacking, us uh, taking any sort of free handouts. And I do have to say, I like the scene. So we do have Barbara Berry on this episode, and I like the scene that she and Hal Linden have. And it's very much like a it's like a almost like a little actor's workshop watching the two of them go back and forth and it's just a really nice well-written scene and it just i feel that they do have chemistry it does work so it will be a shame when she's no longer on here well but that's storyline why she's not on there right 
No, they're great. And that whole scene is great. And it's played in a way that is very contemporary, too. It's not like the the nagging housewife. It's like she has a character of her own. She's doing her own things. She's got her own machinations. And, like, I appreciate that. Like, I like that. That they're writing, like, a strong female character in 1975. And I like that she feels that it's not because Barney is a police sergeant that they get choice cuts of meat or, you know, the best whatever when she goes to the stores. But it's that she is a well-kept woman that she is uh, sexy. And so that's why she gets the better things. Well, that's the fucking case, man. That is the case. So right on the dot there with that. So we get this whole scene, like I was saying, I'm not that invested in these guys yet. So when Barney comes back, almost everybody in the station has a confession for him. And they're all just these like minor infractions. Um, Chano's got a brother-in-law who snuck into the country from uh, Argentina. Uh, so Barney calls ice on him and he gets thrown into a prison camp and we never hear from him again. It's really kind of sad. Bing, bing, sad. Confronting illegal immigration in 1975. Boy, this show's ahead of its time. Yeah, Wojo wrote answers to an exam on his shirt, which is also ironic because he's studying for the sergeant's exam in this one. With uh, Yamada, there's this whole thing of him using the phone to call his bookie. His bookie? Boy, that's a 75 thing, isn't it? I do like his solution, though, that he manages to get his bookie uh, busted and then brought into the station so that they can meet in the jail cell rather than calling him on the phone. Is that like a New York thing? A bookie? Watching the North Avenue Irregulars, I know that people make book wherever, but it feels like having a bookie is much more of a very urban thing. I don't have a bookie, Chris. Mm, I don't have one either. And Fish is apparently fooling around? Yes, what is up with that? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't understand. Like, it's either that he just didn't want to take his wife, and he was just, I don't know. Oh, because no. Because that wouldn't make any sense. He was getting with some ass. He was playing he was around. Yeah. Fish was getting some ass. Yeah, there was Good for him. definitely somebody on that expense report that was not Bernice. And yeah, it wasn't him having double steak dinners. It was him and somebody else. Which, you know, we're going to talk about Fish at some point, so we'll get to meet that character eventually. But uh, that's a far-off thing. That's still many moons from now. So it's just funny that it's like, Fish is fooling around on his wife. I doubt they're ever going to bring it back up again. And what's this whole thing of Fish talking about these new shoes that are higher in the front than they are in the back? (laughs) I didn't understand that one bit. But when he's got the new shoes on, he's doing the physical comedy at the end. It is hilarious. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, look, there's a reason Abe Vigoda got his own show. And it is apparent from the get-go why that's the case. Because Abe Vigoda is the best part of this show. Because Hal Linden is always playing the straight man. He has to. And then Abe Vigoda is playing, like, the dry comic timing. And then... The other characters kind of fill in these weird spots, you know, like Wojo is just the unhinged one. And then Gregory Sierra is, I don't know, Gregory Sierra's character kind of is unhinged too. Yeah, he gets very excitable about things. And then when he does, he ends up speaking Spanish. 
That's so tired. I mean, in 75, I don't know how tired it was, but now it feels tired. I mean, look, when I think of a character doing that, what's the one character you think of when you think of a character doing that? It's going to be the same one I think of from TV only. Fucking Ricky Ricardo. I mean, that, 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 I mean, I mean, he would do that. Like, and like, that was a gag on the show. You know, he would just start speaking Spanish really quickly. And like, that's, it, it kind of feels like that in an unoriginal way. But like, that's, <laughs> it also kind of feels like a, a, a Hispanic character trope <laughs> as well, which is fine, but it's just kind of like, oh God, really? Like, it hasn't stopped either. I mean, look at a show like Modern Family. They did the exact same thing with uh, Sofia Vergara. So maybe it's just, uh, you know, Hispanic. That's just the Hispanic character thing, right? That's what they do. Yeah, they speak fast. And when they speak fast, they speak in their native language. Don't you know that? Yeah, I, all of my Hispanic friends do exactly that. Just be speaking English at one point and then, bam, right into it. But at least, look, I mean, look, it's a trope. It's been played out. But at the same time... It's not bad. And this episode, this episode is the second best of these three. But I, it's barely better than Snowjob. Because Snowjob is just, I think Snowjob was a mess of an episode. And this is, again, this had, like you mentioned, this has the thing where it's like, you're trying to get me invested, or not invested, but you're trying to give me kind of a big stakes episode when I haven't really invested in the characters to begin with. Like, we're episode four of the show? Like, I'm not... Pre- I mean, I'm invested because I know that we're going to be doing this podcast for the next five years. But, I mean, if I were watching this February 13th of 75, I'm not sure how invested I would be. So, circling back, Chris, do you know what a snow job is? Uh, I'm going to assume it has something to do with, like, intentionally deceiving someone. If you give someone a snow job, you are snowing them or yeah you're trying to fool them or put them on my uncle fred used to always ask me if i was giving him a snow job and i had no idea what he was talking about when i was a kid and he's also a character in gi joe is it kind of like gaslighting kinda i don't know where snow job comes from though gaslighting is such a popular phrase in 2020 so the uh, dictionary.com says an attempt to deceive or persuade by using flattery or exaggeration. So basically you're trying to shine someone on would be another thing. But how does how, how does that even make sense for the show? Well, I think it just makes sense that it's snowy out and they're trying to use that as a joke title. Oh, okay. Sure. 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 In 1975, that was hilarious. Right. Just like graft. I mean, what? What? I know what a graft is, but what does that have to do with the episode? Well, just that they would be taking graft. That he is looking for people that are taking graft. Kelly. Yeah. I was very happy to see Kelly get busted back down to sergeant. Or back to plain clothes, I should say. Once you get too close to the top where they're all taking money. Mm, exactly. Then you, get, then you get smacked down. So cynical. Really yeah, exactly. cynical. <laughs> but I mean, the show, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not wrong. <laughs> the show is, the show is right on point with that, which I find to be really funny. Very forward thinking in a way. So you would say that the first one, uh, experience, probably the best one, and then graft and then snow job. 
Yeah, I would think so. For me, it goes experience, graft, then snow job. And again, snow job, I just felt, and similarly with graft, it just, we don't know these characters well enough yet to really get invested to the level that the show wants us to get invested in. And you can't rush that. You just, you can't. Because if you rush it, you get episodes like this where it's like, ah, okay, sure. We know that these characters aren't going anywhere, so. But again, that's also hindsight. We know how the show plays out. We know certain characters are essentially in the show until they die in real life. So, I mean, Jack Sue's character is not going anywhere until he passes away. Gregory Sierra's character is in the show, I think, for, what, two seasons? So, you know, the thing I find weird is, like, some characters just don't show up in certain episodes. I And look, that's maybe a super 70s thing. I mean, it was kind of like that in Kolchak. You had John Fiedler in, like, two episodes? I think it ended up being maybe four altogether. I think it was three at the beginning and then one right towards the end. And we were just like, whoa, hey, he's back. Yeah. And that's like kind of like this, right? It's like, where's Ron Glass? There he is. And now he's gone. And now he's back. Like, what? Or Barbara Bari. Like, what the fuck? Like, where did you go? Like, I guess they just didn't have enough time to show how Lyndon going home, but she's second build in the episode. So it her absence is felt for sure. I think Ron Glass was off taunting Sherman Helmsley and trying to take him to hell. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. That boy. I yeah, I, I they did make mention in this one uh Kelly is like where's Wilson and Harris and so I'm very curious because uh, I think Wilson is done. I don't think we're ever going to see him again, but I'm curious if we will have mentions of him here on out. He's off just in drag doing stuff. Sure. As good as an explanation as any. That actor had an amazing career. He was both in Black Godfather and Black Gestapo. I have seen neither of those films, but they sound great. I've seen Black Godfather, but I have not seen Black Gestapo. Black Gestapo. Boy, if that's not a title for a film, I don't know what is. I think that that should be uh, Spike Lee's next film after Black Landsman should be Black Gestapo. Black Gestapo. Oh, boy. Maybe Spike Lee just stopped for a while. He's teaching us lessons. Oh, through the magic of film. That's right. That is all I have. That's all I have as well. Well, Chris, I want to thank our uh, wonderful, our maestro, John Walker, for doing our theme song. I'm very happy with the theme song. I know we got it like a last minute before we put out the first episode, but it's really, uh, it's doing stuff for me. And I also want to thank my good friend Maggie Dangerously, who put together our album artwork for the podcast that is currently gracing your screen. Uh, she did an awesome job. And if you're curious, the art style that she based that picture from is the Barney Miller board game, which is an actual thing that you can, if you have $200 lying around and you don't know what to do with it, go and buy on eBay. You know, when Quentin Tarantino asked Abe Vigoda to be in one of his films, they sat down and played the Barney Miller board game together. Is that real? No. That was me taking off of the Welcome Back Cotter board game that he played with John Travolta. Is that real? That is real. Oh, well. Quentin Tarantino is so cool. He's so cool, man. He's got all the stuff, man. Oh, bro. I know things about things that other people don't know, and I take advantage of the things that they don't know by repackaging it into something that they don't know. Cool. 
Great. But yeah, she did an awesome job with the artwork, and um, she captured our likenesses perfectly, along with Hal Linden. Which, let's be honest. Which, let's be honest here. If our dreams weren't to be part of the 12th Precinct, I don't know what they would be. So, Chris, what is keeping you busy these days? Uh, the Culture Cast. That's, that keeps me busy. And the plethora of podcasts that I am part of. Culture Cast, the one-season show, Dreams for Sale, and Chronicles from the Crypt. You've heard me plug them before. I'll plug them again. Culture Cast is a movie podcast. One-season show is a podcast about TV shows that only last in one season. Chronicles from the Crypt is a podcast about... Tales from the Crypt and Dreams for Sales, a podcast that you and I and our good friend Father Malone do, where we talk about 1985's reboot of The Twilight Zone, The Twilight Zone. What about you, Mike? What keeps you busy? What keeps you up at night? That's a bad question. What keeps you busy? <laughs> I know what keeps you up at night, and this ain't that kind of podcast. Pretty much what I do is uh, the Projection Booth podcast that comes out every week, uh, which you can find at projectionboothpodcast.com. And yeah, then occasionally you have me on the culture cast and I'm very excited to talk about some rare-ish, obscure-ish sci-fi films from the 70s and 80s, foreign sci-fi. We're talking about this uh, coming March. It'll be fantastic. It's, it's, it's obscure. It's real obscure. It is. I mean, which is fine. I like obscure. So makes me feel like I'm part of a secret club. Right? Yeah.